My name is Dan Ulbrich, and I'm on the uh, programs chair along with Jeanette Outlaw. Uh, first of all, I just wanted to thank everybody who came out, uh, who the, or that was in the suburbs, for joining us for our suburban program on August 14th for part one of Fueling Changes in Corporate Real Estate. And uh, we had a great panelist out there, and uh, we've got part two coming up, uh, coming up in December. So there was so much information that we couldn't even fit it all into one breakfast, so we're going to do it again post-election and uh, see what's happening with, uh, with how fuel is impacting our businesses. So, Also note, on uh, Thursday, October 2nd, will be our next luncheon. It is not going to be the second Thursday. It will be on October 2nd, so mark that in your calendars. And that one is going to be called Power Serve, as uh, Rick had mentioned earlier. Serving up solutions in a changing market. And joining us will be Francisco Acoba. He's Senior Managing Director of Strategy and Operations for Deloitte Consulting, and he will be leading off a panelist of corporate real estate end users and service providers. Also then on Thursday, November 13th, we will have 2008 Year in Review. It's kind of an annual uh, wrap-up to the year for uh, kind of an economist. And then also then in January, we'll have the same one again, kind of the crystal ball for the year in, uh, with some other economists as well. But for today's topic, Tales from the Trenches, Lessons Learned. So I'm up here with a distinguished panel of real estate executives who are going to share some things on what they've learned in, their, uh, in the past 12, 18 months and perhaps even more over in their career and uh, expectations, what to do and what not to do. Um, I'm going to just announce our moderator, Rob Biggs. He is a Senior Managing Director, Project Management for CB Richard Ellis. Uh, he is responsible for delivery of project management services in the areas of asset services, tenant representation, and national corporate accounts. He has been active lead in the project management transition process for Ford Motor Company, BP, and has participated in the refresh process for Baxter, R. R. Donnelly, and other major national accounts. <clears throat> he is also an avid Sox fan. Red Sox. I'm going to turn it over to Rob now, and he can announce the rest of our speakers, and it's all your show. We do want to have this very interactive. Um, in talking to all the speakers prior to the meeting, they all did not want to do a 15 or 20-minute presentation with slides to put you all to sleep. So what we're going to do is we've got several questions that I put together. We're going to hopefully spark some conversation between them as well as yourselves. I believe there is a roving microphone that we can, over there, just raise your hand, please. We'd love to have conversation go back and forth. Um, so with that, as Dan said, I, I, I'm with CB Richard Ellis. I am responsible for the Central Region Project Management Delivery to our clients, which uh, encompasses Pittsburgh to Minneapolis to Houston. So I spend a lot of time based here in Chicago, but also in the Southwest Seat 11C, <laughs> if you're ever looking for me. To my right, and what we'll do briefly is just introduce the individuals that will be speaking today, and then I'm going to let them give themselves a little two to three minutes about who they are, what they uh, manage, what their team looks like, that kind of thing. And then I'd also I'd ask them to give them a, you know another minute or two just to kind of explain how they got today to this seat in their career path. I think many of us have very interesting, in, in this industry, many interesting ways of getting to where we are. Um, and Alice will tell you about her interesting start. But to my right is Alice Hogason. 
She is the Global Environmental Manager and the U.S. Director of Facilities and, and Senior Vice President for Daniel J. Edelman. She's based here in Chicago. And next we have A.J. Singh, who is the Vice President of Corporate Real Estate for United Airlines. There'll be no questions today with regards to stock prices. <laughs> and Brian Hunter is the Vice President of Real Estate and, of Real Estate and Facility Services for Sarah Lee Corporation. So I guess we'll start with Alice first. Could you kind of give us the description of what you do and who you do it with? And All right. Um, Daniel J. Odeman is a privately held corporation. Uh, we're in 53 cities worldwide, and that will change shortly again. Um, I actually manage the U.S. portfolio for real estate, which is approximately 300,000 square feet, of which 200,000 of that sit in New York and Chicago. So a lot of my offices are very small throughout the U.S. market. Typically, in a privately held corporation, when you say you're going to take one portion of something, everything comes with. So I do manage all the leases worldwide. I just monitor them, basically, and make sure that the global CFO and our global partners know what's coming up. Um, my staff is me uh, with the CFO. And fortunately, I have a very good broker that I work with and a very good lawyer. So um, we manage uh, to do very well successfully. Um, how I got into this, uh, the joke is either I didn't show up to the right meeting or I showed up to the wrong one. It depends on how you want to talk about it. Um, I became a CFM and convinced Edelman that they were missing a big hole in their market by not having someone responsible for facilities. Um, they listened to me and agreed and uh, appointed me. And the next thing I know, the real estate hit my desk as well. So uh, I've actually done real estate for Edelman now for about two years. AJ? Okay. Uh, thanks, uh, Rob, and thanks, Alice. Um, uh, first of all, uh, good afternoon, everybody. Happy to, happy to be here. Uh, it's a pretty uh, a distinguished uh, set of folks in this room. Um, as an airline guy, you know, we don't um, stay in one place for too long, uh, and, and so we move around. So I'm happy to actually be here today in my hometown and, and talk to you. Um, my experience at, at United has been in actually a variety of different um, uh, roles over the years. Uh, I've done things from logistics to crew planning to IT systems to um, restructuring to you know business improvement, uh, etc. About two two and a half years ago, my C our CFO asked me that hey you know something about airports? How about you do real estate? Uh, so. <laughs> And, and, and here I am. So that's how I guess I got to this, uh, to, to this seat. But I've, I've, I've worked with United for about 15, 16 years. Um, as you, know, you all uh, may know about United, uh, I, I'm going to uh, give you a quick description. I mean, we, are, uh, we have about 3,000 plus flights a day, um, uh, flying to over 130 locations between our main line and our express partners. We have 21 other, 20 other um, Star Alliance partners across the world. We are, we are connected to 800 locations across the world. Um, and so clearly, we're, you know, we, if, you, if you need to go anywhere, um, you just need to call United uh, or Star Alliance and we'll, we'll get you there. Um, however, with that comes the uh, challenge of, for an airline uh, operation, you need three major things. I mean, there are a variety of other things you need, but three, there are three big asset groups that you need. One is a place to land and take off, uh, which is real estate. 
Uh, second is you need points to actually fly, and then third is you need your employee base that do a fantastic job of day in, day out to operate the airline. Um, and we are sort of managing all of those um, aspects of it. My role at United is to be responsible for all of our facilities worldwide. Um, uh, and that, that's why I made the comment about not being in one place for too long, because I have to you know, keep moving from one place to the other. Um, so that's sort of my background. The way we are organized um, is that our majority of our portfolio obviously is in the airport. Um, and that is not something that uh, uh, really gets a lot of exposure in the mainstream you know, real estate world. Uh, as I look across the room here, there's a, there are lots of accomplished folks here in the room that do a lot of uh, commercial real estate. And we've done some of that. We did our headquarters uh, project and there are many of our providers that actually help us in the room today. So uh, thank you guys for, for making that happen. Uh, but majority of our focus on a day-to-day -day basis in an is in airports. And that world is very different from a standpoint of um, uh, the, the, the way it works. Um, so the way we are organized is that majority of our commercial work, off-airport <coughs> work, um, we, are, um, we have partnerships that, that we work with. Um, it was actually with the Starbucks company, now they're part of JLL. Um, they, they're helping us on off-airport but all of the airport work uh, we do internally, uh, and that's because it's very airline-centric and needs a lot of airline expertise. So that's the way we are organized. Um, so I guess that's my introduction. With that, I'll hand it over to uh, Brian. Thank you, AJ. Um, quick, how I got into the business, I guess, I grew up in Springfield, Illinois. Didn't have a lot of big buildings. Visited Chicago a couple of times, saw the skyscrapers, and knew immediately what I wanted to do. Um, I wanted to you know, buy and sell big buildings, play Monopoly on a large scale. And you know that didn't quite work out, but I, I got into uh, real estate brokerage in 1991, which is about the worst time to get into the business. Uh, you could shoot a cannon through most of the new developments and not hurt anybody. Um, so had I been a wildly successful broker, I'd probably still be in brokerage. Uh, I got out of the brokerage business in about 96, which is probably the worst time to get out of the business. I uh, went on the corporate side, but I kind of found my niche there in corporate. I did like to do multi-city deals um, versus uh, one market. Uh, you kind of obviously were in control of the deal. You knew what was going on because uh, you were with the principal, so that was a little bit different than the brokerage side. And I just found a home in corporate real estate, and I've uh, been in the business. So I've been in real estate my entire working career for about 17 years now and, and haven't looked back. I work for real uh, Sara Lee Corporation right now. It's the uh, consumer products company that nobody doesn't like. Um, we were in Chicago. We still have a presence in Chicago. Uh, about two years ago, we moved out to Downers Grove, where our headquarters is located. And um, we've got, if you think about our products, it's a short shelf life product, bread. Everybody wants kind of fresh product there. So we've got 42 bakeries across the U.S. that make the bread that goes into the you know, the big trucks bring it to the little buildings and the little little trucks bring it to the, the storefront. So a lot of the portfolio, people think, you know, we've got about 1,000 locations, you know, 20 million square feet. Um, you do the math, it's an average of 20,000 a location, but it's skewed by a few really large locations and just lots and lots of little bread depots. So while in this market, it's easy to say, hey, we're 400,000 square feet, we're the 600-pound gorilla, but... In a lot of markets, I'm trying to get 2,000 square feet of industrial space, um, knocking on the doors of uh, some of our, you know, first industrial or whomever, and we're, we're really a really small fish. 
Uh, they don't care how big we are in Chicago. Um, they're not going to give me a great deal or all the TI I want and all that other good stuff. But uh, so that makes it interesting. Um, and that keeps my day full. And so with those thousand locations, a lot of short-term deals, changing, you know, we, we change in terms of you think of the suburban sprawl. That's where the grocery stores are going to take us. And that's where we need to have a short shelf life product close to our customers. So uh, we have, um, I think there's 275 leases that are month to month, uh, something like that. So those are always fun to have 30 days notice to know that you got to go get another bread depot. So we, we, we are very busy uh, just because of the various nature of our portfolio. And that's probably most of my time, what little time I have left over, I, I, fi I, I try to figure out ways of getting in the C-suite and managing my talent. So. <laughs> well, I think for a first question, we'll start out with most of you have either just undergone or about to complete a headquarters consolidation or relocation in a transaction. With that, how much pressure have you found in running one of those? And in AJ's world, obviously, this is sort of his big foray into commercial real estate versus airports. And I'm sure there may be, it may have actually been easier because you don't have all the different political entities to deal with. But we can start out, I guess, we'll just sort of work our way across the table. But please, if there are any questions, I do want you to raise your hand and, and join on in. But with you, Alice. Um, I have the uh, fortune of having our global headquarters in New York, or unfortune. Um, and the New York market, of course, is uh, quite expensive these days. We were on 42nd and Broadway. There's opportunities just being on 42nd and Broadway. So it was determined that we needed to find a building that allowed us to be on bigger floor plates, less floors, and not necessarily on Broadway. Uh, so we started looking when the market was the tightest, which was about a year ago. Um, we finally found a building and actually signed our lease back in December, knock on wood. Uh, I actually don't start construction until March, so I'll let you know next year about September of 2009 how it really went because that's when the project's going to be done. <laughs> um, on our, in our case, uh, um, as I was describing earlier, uh, once once they put me in this role, um, uh, and I was probably in my third or fourth week on my job, and my boss called me and said, AJ, we're uh, thinking about doing a project, you know, trying to move our headquarters. And I said, what? You didn't tell me when you gave me the job. <laughs> uh, um, so, so clearly, I mean, something of, of, of that uh, uh, magnitude is, you know, we obviously took that very, very seriously. We were, the, the motivation really uh, was to uh, enable our operating um, uh, entity of the airline uh, to focus on operations uh, because when everybody is in one place, operations and all of the, um, the senior executives who are not necessarily dealing with daily day-to-day -day operations issues, uh, uh, it was really a play to kind of make, make the operations be sort of self-standing and be the corporate function, be in a, in, a, in a business location. The obvious question was, given our big presence in multiple cities across the United States, where should we place the headquarters? And I think that sent us on a um, road trip across the United States. Uh, I, and, and ultimately, uh, you know, we were very, very happy to actually truly call Chicago our hometown um, uh, and, and move out of uh, Elgro Village and move, move to 77 West Wacker. Um, March of last year, and uh, now since then we've completed 
we have about 11 floors um, in the building. Um, we, uh, uh, you know, our, our Starbucks friends did a, did a good job with uh, getting us naming rights and so on. So we, we, the, now the building is called the United Building. Uh, we are proud to be here. Uh, everybody is very happy with the, uh, the way things are set up. And I think the, the, the big play that, that we were trying to make was that for all of our corporate jobs, uh, what we have seen is that if you're, if you're trying to um, you know, recruit, say, at University of Chicago or, or, or at Northwestern, and um, you get this new MBA class coming out and you talk to them and say, this is an exciting business to get into and it's really dynamic and it's, you, know, you can fly around the world and you can see the world and so on. I know, by the way, uh, where are your offices? And they say, well, I'm expecting to be in the loop. And, and we're like, well, we're located near the airport in a place called Liverpool Village. And so that you know, doesn't really go very well in, in when you're trying to draw talent. So I think one of the big things that we have seen and one of the big reasons why we did this, what, what, what we did, was really around you know, getting connected with the business uh, base of Chicago. It was more of a talent play. And it actually has worked out very, very well. And we are seeing a lot more um, independent sort of the, the way the operations is running from the way the corporate function of the, of the company are running. So that was sort of our motivation. Um, I'm glad to say that the project is pretty much over. There, are, there is Carrie Rubon, who actually runs our building for us, is actually here, um, and she deals with the day-to-day uh, -day issues of running that, running that uh, space for us. But we, we have about 700 people now, um, you know, and 700 backer, and we're pretty much done with the project of the multiple phases. So it's been, it's been a good experience. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, Sarah Lee is a little bit older. I mean, the, the, this testament to the success of the project is I still work at Sarah Lee after it was completed. Uh, when I first got the assignment, because yeah, yeah. yeah. um, on the talent management side, a lot of times corporations have more talent than they can manage, so they like to get rid of uh, ch big chunks of it at, uh, when they do cutbacks. But um, the Sarah Lee's was a you know shoot the gun, and it was a it was a race uh, because it was. We were announcing that Sarah Lee's, Sarah Lee's Pass had been one of a holding company. They bought a bunch of brands, you know, some ballpark hot dogs, a Kiwi shoe polish, to Hanes, you know, T-shirts. And they just let them run as separate entities. And when Brenda took over, her idea was to roll it up under one operating company and really, you know, operate as one company. Um, because of that, we wanted to get a location that was going to roll up operations in, from Cincinnati, St. Louis, Rolling Meadows, Chicago, and various other smaller markets. And um, we wanted to announce that very quickly because we had people that they wanted to offer jobs to, quite frankly. And people said, well, where am I going to be? And uh, am I going to be in Chicago? And people, you know, people would make their, um, potentially their decision to relocate for Sarah Lee if it was going to be in Chicago or if it was going to be in the Burbs. So they wanted to get that out there quickly. So we announced this program in April, uh, excuse me, in February of 05. And by April, we announced the location. Uh, it, it was a little bit easier. I think the real estate piece is a little bit easier because it was we needed 400,000 square feet. We needed to find it quickly. Um, there was a handful in the suburbs and a handful in the city that would accommodate that. Uh, it was quickly kind of pared down to, you know, two or three that might work in the city, mainly two, one or two that might work in the burbs. And so the, the, the selection process was pretty easy. I think the hard part is going from concept to actually moving in, you know, 1,200, 1,300 people who all have opinions on what the space should be like and, and, and look like, and, and, you know, we've got a budget to stick to. So uh, the good news is we found the building that, that worked really well for us. The, the not-so-great news is Hamilton Partners was leasing and managing it, so that was not so fun to go through and deal with them um, on, on a 95-page lease. But um, 
it, we got through it, uh, and I say that tongue in cheek. So if Gary Morey's here, you know, I'm just kidding, Gary. Um, but <coughs> anyway, we still got a couple things we got to get resolved. But anyway, um, we've got, uh, yeah. But we moved in in phases, and we had a phase construction process, um, which was, you know, people got to live through it. There was excitement about, hey, we're going to get to this building. But then not realizing that we always use the analogy, and AJ may like this, that we're trying to repair the plane while, you know, flying it because we had a construction time frame that, hey, you know, we can kind of bang this out in about a nine or ten months if everyone just stays away. But, again, there was anticipation and an anxiety to say, hey, let's get there together and get this Sarah Lee thing working. They had a lot of bigger things at play other than just this real estate headquarters thing. We were spinning off Haynes. Uh, that was a you know, multi-billion dollar spinoff that had never happened in the history of the company, uh, changing the whole network of, the, of how we did business. And so they said, no, we got to be there. And so luckily we had temp space, but we were literally building out floors and then moving people into them. And just, you know, people don't really like coring to happen during the middle of their conference calls and, you know, just living through that. So it prolonged the construction and then the phasing in. But like I said, uh, my, my boss at the time, um, had, you know, the, when we started at the very beginning, there was a Harvard Business case story about, I think it was the New York Times' headquarters in New York or something, and about the, the, the lead paragraph was that, you know, two-thirds of all project managers get, you know, let go after, you know, um, corporate relocation. So that's how we started it, and I'm still there, so I think everything's going well. But it's, it's better to have gone through it and, and done it. Um, and like you said, when it wraps up versus, you know, if, I, if they were going to do that again, I don't know. <laughs> it, 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 was, it was a very long, busy, 80-hour week, kind of three years, that's for sure. I think the one thing I'll add to that is, is that uh, when, you, when you do a project like this, there are two things. I think, I, I th I think I s there are some of our architects who are visioning with us. Um, a, you know, as we were working through the project, uh, the first thing that came out of the C-suite was, well, why does it take uh, eight months to do construction? Why can't you get started tomorrow? Like, well, you've got to get permits, and you got, you know, you got a variety of other things you got to do before you can get there. Well, get that done quickly. Um, so th there was that. The other piece is that you know, you know, and just the way sort of you know Brian is describing this, everybody has an opinion in this kind of a project. Everybody, whether it's your outside, you know, customers or suppliers, to your inside folks, to the people that have never met you in the you know last three years, but they come to you and tell you, give you an opinion as to what needs to happen. So it is, it is a it is a exciting project to undertake and, and deliver on, and um, I guess the fact that we're all here is a testament that it actually went well. Um, but it is it is it gets pretty complicated because there, there are lots of pressures from different angles, um, you know, coming at you, and there are there are pressures that are coming at you that you don't, that you don't even you know might not even anticipate. So, uh, but that's that's one thing I like to add to that. I think all, all fourteen hundred folks, everybody does feel empowered to give their opinion. Yeah. But, you know, and it's usually not positive. I mean, silence is golden. So you've got, um, you know, you, in, typically you think about accounting departments or marketing departments, and they've got to keep, you know, their boss happy, and they've got projects they're working on, and that's about it. Nobody really sees their work. Nobody gets to kind of look over their shoulder and say what's going on. But definitely everyone, it's kind of where they live. So they definitely feel empowered mm -hmm. to say, you know, this, not, not, not just my office is too hot, too cold, or, you know, why did you pick these workstations? This color is disgusting, you know, or, you know whatever. Because you, and you've got 1,500 opinions. So some people are in love with the design. And I get, you know, it's just like any bell curve um, that you're going to do, that's what you get with. And um, it is, um, 
people get very you know emotional over just their workspace, and you, there's no way around that. My favorite is always the um, the why is this costing so much? And Dan will appreciate this because I was at Lowe's the other day, and mm -hmm. drywall is only five fifty a sheet. <laughs> they forget that somebody has to put it up and bring it in the elevator and everything else. Um, with these recent deals, what is the motivation for these deals? Is it cost reduction, footprint reduction? Is it uh, recruiting and retention, company image? I mean, probably maybe pieces and parts of all of the above. And then if you do, if it is involved with image, is there any way you can measure the impact of that image? Well, being in a PR company, um, location is, you know, is, is key for us because we have to be near our clients. <laughs> and we have to be in the markets our clients expect us to be, or we have to be in a market our client demands us to be. Um, we've off opened offices simply because a client has dictated they need a presence there, um, and been successful in turning those into real offices. But So our market changes based upon our clients. Um, so a, a key example for us is we started working with Microsoft several years ago and uh, had one or two people in Seattle had to open an office, it was a requirement of ours. Um, they started a small office suite. Now our Seattle um, office is 30,000 square feet, you know, 60 people, and uh, Microsoft is one of the client list. So in the PR world, uh, our clients dictate a lot of our, our presence. Of course, in PR, you have to be in New York and Chicago or you don't exist, and you have to be in London or you don't exist. So. Um, Ours is a little different in that. Um, we normally are in central business districts. We rarely are out in the suburb because of who we are. Um, and employee retention is huge. Uh, PR is very, they're very visible. They're, they're very picturesque. They want, uh, the employees don't understand uh, why they write very well. They want to see things that look really well. So uh, they have to be in certain, they expect certain things from a company. So that's basically yeah. our, our draw. Uh, I think, uh, you know, in our case, it was really um, a combination of things. Um, uh, clearly, I sort of talked about the talent and the, and the recruitment aspect earlier. Uh, in addition to that, we, one of the things I didn't talk about was the, the, way we, the, the way I was asked to do the project was to do it in a way that uh, it made, you know, financial sense. Because clearly, you know, moving, moving large operations in this, in this manner Specifically, in moving into a you know from a suburb into a downtown location, there are clearly cost differences and so on. So when when we were we did this as part of a larger sort of real estate optimization effort that, that we were undertaking. We were, you know, we had a campus in El Grove Village where we had about 3,000 people. In addition to that, we had three or four other locations in which we had um, you know offices and and other functions that were that were operating. So what the way we the way we did this, um, uh, actually, at the end of the day, after you factor in all of the investments and everything else, and once you figure out all your, your, your savings that you get by shutting down your other outlying locations, we were actually able to demonstrate to our board that this was actually an NPV positive thing to do. And, and so clearly, cost was a, was a, was a big play. Um, but the, the and, th and that was sort of the in my, in my sort of way to kind of say that th that's sort of the beauty of the project that we did it in an NPV positive way by reducing our longer term costs. Now we have one headquarters downtown, one operation center, and that's it. And we don't have other locations that we have to worry about. And we, uh, in fact, we're in the process of 
finally shutting down the last one, I think, in the next few weeks, I think, looking at Carrie shaking her head. Um, so so the, the, from, a, from a cost perspective, it worked out, but then you get all of the benefits that I was talking about earlier, which is the presence, the, the recruitment, retention, uh, aspects of this thing, as well as the, the sort of allowing the operating group to actually run the airline on a day-to-day -day basis and kind of giving them you know, empowerment to, to, to do that while the corporate functions sort of talked about you know, strategic things and other sort of future direction that we're going in. So that was sort of all of the, I would say it was all of the above. Mm -hmm. I think it's always, always the above, but I think for us it depends on the, it depends on the type of product we're looking for. A lot of times it's going to be cost-driven. Uh, and when I say cost-driven, it's not real estate solely. That, that, that uh, I think, is one note of being a service provider for a while and then going on the corporate side. Know your client because it's the real estate <clears throat> may be a piece of the puzzle, maybe a large piece, maybe a small piece. Uh, you can get people to come up to me and say that, you know, you're in a business park that you're paying four bucks over market, and, you know, I'm 2,000 square feet in that, you know, uh, sliver of the industrial, so, okay, I'm six grand a year. That adds up over a big portfolio. Mm -hmm. But when I look at it, ours is all about logistics and trucking and stem miles. And if I move it, you know, three miles this way and I save those four bucks a foot, um, you know, my cost of doing business, you know, went up $30,000. So, you know, we can't, we, gotta, we can't lose sight of that. But ours is, a, is, is always a function of cost, I think, um, as it relates to the whole metrics when making a deal. And I took a pot shot earlier about the C-suite and the uh, talent management because I think, you know, Cornette gets a little obsessed with those two topics. But um, the, you know, where our talent management, we don't use that. Um, I, I, and I think that factors in. We want safe, you know, um, efficient, um, sustainable working environments for our employees. But at the same time, I, I think it depends on the market that you're in. If you're with a consumer packaging company, um, the, the talent is, it could be there. You always have pockets, but so I, I don't know that it's a retention. I mean, you wouldn't want to work in deplorable working conditions, but I think right. there's a baseline that all corporates say, okay, this is pretty decent. Now, we're hopefully we're going to compete on different levels with either compensation, mobility, um, you know, job training, being able to move within the company. Um, but I, I think, you know, we'd like to say it's differently, but I mean, costs are really it's mm -hmm. as it relates either just the real estate or the bigger pieces I still think it's uh, number one okay um, with regard to real estate how involved are you and how interested are your firms in uh, environmental su uh, sustainability and lead and that sort of thing I know Alice you probably in the PR firm that's got to be a, a big issue today that wasn't five years ago certainly and then, so if you could just kind of run through that, and I'm guessing that Brian's company is probably not as concerned in the field when they're delivering bread about lead, but maybe not. Um, Edelman um, has been coaching its customers um, on corporate sustainability for years and turned around about four years ago and realized that they weren't doing a very good job internally. Um, many of our customers would come back and ask us what we were doing, and so we first went through uh, an audit and uh, we launched our first um, CSR report three years ago, and in it we wrote a very um, pretty strong environmental policy. Um, we then followed it up by um, naming a global environmental manager, me. Um, <laughs> another, to, another meeting you missed? I yeah, guess. you know, I was, someone told me that uh, I, I, I was the only one who really talked green enough, so I'm not sure if that was good or bad. 
Um, but what we had done, especially when I started the real estate portion of it, is in my request for proposals, I always included what was the landlord going to do for me environmentally, whether it be recycling or how he handles his building, how he's handling his, uh, his structure, so that I knew before I went into the lease what things I had to manage or um, correct. Um, so we have been def definitely pushing that issue for a couple years. Have we walked away from a building because the landlord's not lead? No. Um, have we looked heavily at a building because the landlord was committing to lead? Yes. Um, in New York, we didn't force the landlord to put in his lease, but we know what his commitment was. And uh, we're, we're basically uh, went to the building and the building became very positive to us because of his uh, green initiatives that he was putting in the building. So yes, it is something that as a PR company we're very conscious of and feel that since we are coaching our clients on how to be more uh, sustainable citizens that we should too. So. Uh, I mean, this is uh, uh, a, a very big issue for us. Uh, so, so I'm gonna give you a sort of a view in different sort of angles. One is that clearly in our airport operations, uh, we are extremely uh, sensitive to the, the issue of environment and we're doing everything we can to, um, uh, that there are a variety of programs. In fact, we have a whole department that actually looks at environmental issues um, and provides standards and guidelines and to make sure that, that you know, we, we are taking care of um, any environmental issue that may exist. In addition to that, all of our new construction or, or other things that we're doing um, at the airport uh, is actually you know, meeting and exceeding uh, many of the guidelines. So for example, um, I will, there, is a, there is a cargo warehouse that we are building or designing at the moment. It will be built as part of the overall O'Hare modernization program uh, because one of the new runways goes through our current uh, warehouse, so we have to build a new one. Um, so in, as part of that, uh, we are actually implementing um, uh, systems that are that, that are gonna show up very high on the, on the lead scale from a standpoint of sustainability, from a standpoint of you know, you know, use of light um, uh, you know, uh, during the day, et cetera. Uh, uh, and, and also, uh, do, you know, we're going to the extent of there are, there are mezzanine areas where there are, obviously there are offices, you know, there, there's, where you do the handling of materials, but there is places where you have offices, et cetera, in, the, in, the, in that, in that you know, complex or in that building. We're actually putting in things like vegetative roof on top and et cetera so to try and, and reduce the cost of running the operation. So that's sort of the level of intensity by which we, we are sort of treating the environmental issue. Now on off airport locations like our headquarters, um, we, while we didn't have a you know, brand new you know, building, uh, it's relatively new, it was built in, in the late, you know, early 90s, but we actually achieved you know, north of silver uh, on our interior build out. Uh, as part of the part of that process, so uh, clearly, you know, environmental issues for um, you know for an airline are, are 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 you know huge for us, and we're doing everything that we do. And I I will say, in addition to just the real estate piece, I mean, we're 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 making investments in our maintenance processes, the way we do engine work and so on, uh, to Im to improve to to improve on and and reduce you know the the, ca the carbon dioxide emission and so on and so forth. So there are lots of lots of facets that go into um, the environmental issue, but from a real estate side, I would say clearly focus on the airport side, and then in our in our headquarters and other off airport locations, we're we're, we're wine for at least a silver level, if not higher. I think certainly it's 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 a lead 
uh, a lead lead thing to do for us too. Um, we've got a, um, I think a, a, a slower start on it than a lot of companies. I think we came on to it a little bit later, but it's very important to our consumers and our our, uh, our customers. Our customers are Walmart, and our consumers are all of you guys. So. It, from a business standpoint, they call I don't, you guys probably heard of the triple bottom line or three P's, you know, people, planet, people, planet, and profit. And that's, again, we take that approach, and we're looking at ways to keep all three of those in balance. So we take the ones um, very aggressively that can provide uh, a lower-cost alternative. Uh, for manufacturers, you're really looking at, I mean, there's a, we use a lot of water, a lot of energy. So they're looking at... Um, uh, first phase was to capture what you do and how you're doing it, and the second phase was to kind of set targets. And we're coming out with a report that's uh, that's been in the ma in, in the works for quite some time. That's company wide, so it's everything from how we manufacture and the the uh, you know the energy and the power that we use to do that um, <clears throat> to the packaging, you know, using uh, sustainable packaging uh, for the products that go on the shelves and recyclable. And um, so it's a bigger initiative. Again, it's a I would say it's um, always been done to a certain extent, but really done in earnest in the last three years where they've got an office and a, and a, and a staff that they put a lot of work behind it. Okay, I'd like to ask you about your biggest success story, and I guess for Brian that would be remaining employed after your project, <laughs> but pretty much. you clearly stated that, but I'm sure there's some others in your, in your real estate career as well. So if you could kind of give me, you know, just a little brief, what, what has worked out really well for you along the way? Is it a skill set that you picked up? Is it a mentor you picked up? Or is it a, a real estate deal you've done? It's a combination of those things. I, I, I was very fortunate to work very closely with our CFO and uh, on several things. And uh, one of the biggest coups we had was uh, when uh, Kirkland and Ellis decided to leave the Aon Center. Um, I had heard about it and went to him right away and said, Lease isn't up for four years, but let's start talking now so that uh, they're a little nervous if we decide to leave. So uh, we were fortunate to get a very good deal to stay at the AI Center and are happy we're still there. Uh, we like the building a lot and wanted to stay there, but at the same token, we wanted to get a deal uh, for our headquarters here. This is our founding headquarters that uh, uh, was below market, and we were successful in doing that. Um, the uh, the fact that we jumped on something fast enough and, and were keyed into the market and knew what was going on was very helpful. And uh, my CFO actually sits in New York, so he had no clue when I said, Kane, is leaving the Aon Center. He went, who? <laughs> so, uh, you know, it's, it's basically being able to know what's going on in the market and being able to uh, react correctly. Um, it's, it's, it's hard to kind of pinpoint one um, uh, big success, but I think, I think the, the way I sort of measure success when we are able to use our real estate um, uh, uh, skills and improve sort of our overall operations. So you know whether it's it, you know if whether we can reduce the 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 line weight in the lobby for check-in or through when you're going through security or when we are able to do things like you know premium boarding and you know do faster boarding on the aircraft and faster turnarounds and um, if we can reduce you know taxi in taxi out delays if we can reduce you know auxiliary power unit burn at the at, at the gate I mean you you mentioned it right I mean the, all of these capabilities that that we're dealing with 
um, ultimately we sort of measure in terms of the enterprise cost. And it's not just about the real estate, it's not just about one or the other thing. We're thinking about you know, overall efficiency of, of, of the operation. So um, you know, we, we get lots of little wins uh, and, and, and we, get, we get lots of big wins uh, you know, along the way. But I think, I think our, <laughs> our focus t tends to be uh, not just on one aspect of a, of a particular transaction or a particular deal, but you know, how, how does it fit in our overall operation and are we improving the efficiency of, of what we do every day? I think you expanded to not just maybe your individual wins, but things that have proven you know, successful for mm -hmm. you or helped you along the way. I think in brokerage, it helped me, you know, you're, you're living, when you're full commission, you find ways to get deals done. So you're, it teaches you survival instincts, and I think it, you, you get creative on getting deals done. You see the, the both sides of the transaction or all three sides or four sides of the transaction, so I think that helps. But it's all, you know, keep it simple. I mean, I think it's, you know, we, we get very way out there and um, on the vine to, to think the, the, the analytics, but keeping, you know, our little motto is, you know, they're trying to get, you know, um, you know big, you know, simple, simple actions, big solutions, you know, just to try to get those in. And all the old cliches hold true. I mean, you should, you keep, you should keep it simple. The buck should stop with you and <clears throat> never assume. I think the ones keep you, you know, make yourself valuable to the company and ones keep you out of hot water. And what's kept me out of hot water is never assuming because you have those uncomfortable conversations and with a landlord that says, you know, and you've got a good relationship and you're getting along with the guy and it's been a long-term thing and you say, oh, yeah, we've got to fix that ramp issue. And you're, yeah, yeah, we do. And you're kind of thinking, did he mean that I'm going to be paying for that or is he going to be paying for that? And, I, you know, and all of a sudden to be kind of like, this is a cool conversation. We're talking about baseball and kids. And for me to say, well, you're going to pay for that, right? It's going to make a twist in the conversation. I don't know if I want to be that bold. And he'll be like, well, yeah, I, of course I am. Like, geez, Brian's kind of being, you know, whatever that today. Or you're going to start that fight. Like, well, no, I mean, you guys need to do that. So never assume. you got to have that uncomfortable conversation. Um, and then never assume your boss knows what you're doing. Never assume um, that, you know, you be engaged enough so that they, they, they know what you're doing so that they get what you're doing and they find value in that. So I think never assume is I, I never try to do that. Uh, it, it saved my butt more times than not letting people know that, no, you're paying for that ramp. I'm not. I don't want to be pushy, but it has to be like that because it's going to be a lot less fun, you know, six months from then when it's already fixed and he sends you the bill and you got to figure out a way to pay for it. So, uh, and then the other one is the buck stops here, meaning I think as facility, you know, I, I would like to get away from facilities. I would love to. That's my, you know, because I like real estate. I like to do deals. I like to transaction. The facilities, the day-to-day, -day, it's too hot, too cold. There's, you know, the faucet's broken. I don't know that who really, really wants that, but that, you know, I'm not that guy, but I still get it because um, they've lumped it under our group. But, you know, that's something that I think you still have to take that service mindset to everything. So when the phone rings and someone says, hey, I need to figure out how to get, you know, 1,500 banners printed with our logo, I can easily say in the corporate mantra, be like, hey, you know, that's, that's marketing, click. Or, you know, that's, uh, that's not me, click. And I think you have to be, you know, there's, we have 1,500 people, and a lot of them came from different cities. Um, they're new to the job. It, you know, you get into a new company, it's alphabet soup with all the, the, the anacronyms they have, and, you don't, and people are just lost. And so facility is kind of a little bit of a funnel to say, I know it's probably not you but because I call you when I'm too hot and too cold, but this happened, you know who to call, you know, my check's messed up. Like, well, I don't do payroll, <laughs> but I can get you to Karen Metzger at extension <laughs> you know one, two, five. So I think... Um, 
never assume and don't pass the buck. You know, be helpful, and you'll always, uh, I think you'll be a, a useful person that the company will want to, to have around. All right, here's one question that they didn't get to review, but I figured I'd throw it there, but I'm sure they hear it on a regular basis. Um, when looking for a real estate professional, how do you pick one? And I'm sure the audience is very interested in that. And also, do you get ever get unsolicited calls from real estate professionals during a year? <laughs> um, let me take this one first. Yeah. Uh, being on both sides of it, you know, I, I have I have empathy for everybody that's calling because I was on that that side of it. So I try not to be a jerk. I try to get back to people. Um, I diligently tried for several years to call everyone back, and I quit doing that a while ago because I could not keep up with it. Um, you know, I, I still, if they get me live, I am cordial. I will try to get most people back, but there's not a day that goes by that uh, I don't get a handful of calls from brokers, and not a day that goes by I don't get a hand uh, call from economic development uh, people from across the country or a roofing company or a carpet company or an HVAC company, you name it. So. Our phones are ringing off the hook with individuals, and again, we try to be cordial. I don't think, I, I, I was on the receiving end of a lot of jerks that didn't want to take the time to talk to me. But you also have to keep in mind, I, you know, I'd love to keep some of these uh, voicemails and just, you know, and, and play them for you guys because it's, <laughs> you know, someone will call and, you know, I'm Sam Smith and I'm from Virginia and I'd like to find out how you do real estate and tell, and tell me a little bit about your portfolio. And, and you're kind of like, all right, Sam, I love you like a brother, but if I spend 15 minutes telling you about my portfolio and how I do a business, you know, how I, you know, select this person, how I'd work a deal and do this, you know, what's the benefit for me except lost 15 minutes, I've already got a relationship. So you you're, you got to think their approach is always, they're a very common approach. And so um, one thing that's probably kept me from not getting back into brokerage, because it's, it's tough. <laughs> I mean, it's a, it's a bleak, when you think about the numbers, if you're on this side of the coin, I think when your phone's ringing, it's tough to crack in because if you've been in the business for a while, we didn't fall into it, um, you know, yesterday. So you've got relationships. You've, you know, you've, you probably hopefully know to, who to work with and, and uh, can get some things done. So it's very tough. And I think going on selection basis, it's uh, there's a lot of qualified people to do the business uh, in the bigger markets, and you just it, to me, I think it's a relationship. There has to be a click. You got to say, okay, am I going to work, you know, eight months on a project with somebody I don't really want to get along with, or somebody that I think that gets what I'm saying will work hard for me? Uh, that's key. But we're also in, I don't even know what the word are for the you know the secondary and third dairy and eighth dairy markets when I'm in you know, Bulls Gap, Tennessee, and Tupelo, Mississippi, looking for, you know, I'm looking for the guy that is, you know, just going to get me the, to the building that, you know, maybe the, the, the three that are in the market and show it to. So that that's a locational thing. But for the bigger markets, I think there has to be some chemistry uh, once you get past that level of qualification, because there are so many good qualified people that you know you could throw a dart at one wall, right. either four, and get a good one. So uh, I think, you know, certainly, um, you know, we get calls, you know, obviously all the time. Um, you know, we try to, to, to talk to people as much as we can. Uh, one of the things that we do have, uh, being on this side of the phone, the defense, of course, that we use is like, you know, look, we were in the airports and, you know, that's a different world <laughs> and so on and so forth. Um, 
but I'll take this opportunity, given, given the, 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 the folks that are in the room. I mean, one of the things we have started doing now, in, in addition to not only just talking to people that are calling us, one of the things we're trying to do is that we're trying, you know, I'm, I'm a big believer in sort of free markets. And, and one of the things that we are seeing at airports um, is that a lot of the providers, uh, because of the challenges of working in the airport environment with the security and all the, all the other regulations and so on and so forth, there's a limited scope of you know, uh, folks that are, that are out there. And, and one of the things we are trying to do is that not only I'm interested in hearing from people that are calling us and for all these sort of kind of you know, trades that sort of Brian was talking about, um, I'd actually like to see more suppliers get you know qualified and and be available you know for 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 doing the work because as you know what happens if there are only a few you know people that are available to do the do the job then you're sort of you know it's their schedule and it's their price um, and and so so it's it's a two way street I mean you know we, we get a lot of calls um, and I'm not sure I can say that we we are able to con you know connect with 100% of them but we are actually taking um, and and I'm actually the sort of the one of the drivers behind this to try and and get more of the, there are a lot of qualified people out there, hardworking folks that are not, they do not have access into sort of the airport side of the construction business because there are, it's a limited market. And, and it's actually in the best interest of, you know, sort of us, the airport, and the folks that are trying to get this business to actually be, get qualified and, and be available to bid on some of those jobs. So uh, it's, a, it's a little bit of a two-way street. And, and um, so, you know, not, can't answer every single phone call, I'm sorry, but, but we will, we'll, what we are trying to, on the other side, try to create an opportunity for folks to actually give them an avenue to get in and, and get on some of the, the work that is available. And, there, there, and you all know there's a lot of construction that, that goes on at airports all the time. I and mean, I haven't been to any airport, any big one, that doesn't have construction project every single year. Uh, so, uh, so that's sort of the, the other side of the equation. Can't add much more other than yes, my phone does ring off the hook, and apologize for anyone I haven't gotten back in the last month. <laughs> um, but uh, yes, we do get a lot of calls. Uh, I was fortunate in that uh, the broker was vetted before I took over real estate, and fortunately, we get along extremely well. So we're continuing the relationship, uh, and he partners with. Uh, locals to uh, help Edelman, and I'm fortunate that I'm in central business districts in major cities, so I don't have a lot of, you know, unique opportunities. Uh, we actually uh, recently have uh, established some global partners. Um, we decided that, uh, you know, CBRE is our current global partner for real estate. Gensler is our current global partner for architectural, and Structure Tone is our current global partner for construction. So we went another step further and basically said that, you know, these are the three partners we currently want to work with so that we have some um, consistency in what we approach to, to achieve, so. That's and when I was, I, I was actually at BP for 13 years running facilities and I got to admit, with, agree with Brian that uh, it really, in many cases, comes down to who you're gonna, you know, you'll live with somebody for eight or nine months going through this deal and you don't wanna, and there's broker in Houston that called me on a regular basis and I, and I know he would do a really good job but when he got done with the phone call I felt like I had six cups of coffee in me and I just couldn't deal with that on a regular basis. And then my other favorite now is the, the you know, we've got, uh, I get a phone call from two guys in a pickup plumbing company that just started their business but they're really good plumbers and they'd like to get on our bid list. So we get that same kind of call in, in, that, in that direction as well. 
And some of them probably work for Dan, I think. No. Um, you know, we've got a few minutes left here, but, and there have been no questions. Hopefully it's because I've asked such insightful questions, but I see one popping up over here. And we'd like to wait until you get the microphone, just if you would, please. Thank you. Uh, I noticed that uh, of the panelists, two out of the three of you have recently come into real estate. And I know that, Brian, you've mentioned that you made sort of a career change, too. Um, I'm curious to know if you think that this is a trend where we see people that are moved uh, within a corporation into a real estate position as a career development move. And uh, also, what you think you bring from your experience in the general business that's been helpful to you now in your current role as a real estate professional? I don't know if I'd call myself a real estate professional. Um, I manage the leases for the company, but um, basically at Edelman, it, it was a twofold process. It was a twofold decision. The fact that we were finally going to have someone looking at the facilities as a whole um, for, uh, for Edelman, you know, US-wide, and then, oh, by the way, wanted to do the leasing. Um, so what I brought to it was basically I have by talking to the locals and knowing what the offices need, I have that, that first line advantage of what really, you know, the Seattle office is looking for, the Portland office is looking for versus someone from, you know, the C-suite who maybe visits them once a year. And, you know, it, it's the dog and pony show and they, they really see the, the office at its best versus the day-to-day. -day. So I know more of the day-to-day, -day, so I was able to bring that into the fact that when we go to look for space and look for um, buildings and look for what things offer and uh, who's managing it and what they do to that, that building. Um, those are the kind of things I was able to bring to it. Uh, is it a trend? Um, when I talk to my co-facilities people around the network, more and more of us are um, getting more and more involved because businesses are seeing that we do have something to offer there. So. Uh, I, th I think that, uh, uh, you know, in our companies actually has been um, if I look back as to sort of my predecessors in the role, uh, they've all had had sort of diverse backgrounds. And, and I think given the nature of our business, uh, you tend to be uh, viewed as uh, much more effective if you can think about uh, sort of all aspects of the, of the business, uh, especially in our case where um, the, the, the sort of what we call the curb to the plain door experience is a very big part of what we do. Certainly, you know, the, the flight is, you know, what, what consumers are there for, but for the ability to get from the curb into the plane and off the plane and, and you know, bag systems and so on and so forth, it, you, you can't, it's, it's, it's our sort of perspective that having a well-rounded um, and experienced individual that understands all aspects of the business is actually gets you a much better answer um, uh, than uh, somebody who, you know, maybe have, in, you know, in-depth real estate expertise. They are very good for negotiating deals. They're very good for going on problem solving, but putting them in the role of a sort of a overall um, uh, driving the direction of a real estate group in a company like ours, um, you know, traditionally has not worked. And so we've sort of uh, favored the idea that the person that comes into the lead role uh, tends to have a wide variety of experience given the nature of the business. We have a question back yes. here. This is a question for Brian. 
you gave an example of a uh, voicemail message that did not inspire you to call back a service <laughs> provider. I was wondering if you have an example of an intriguing voicemail message where you did call back. <clears throat> Turn off all recording devices. No. Um, no, I. That's a great question because I don't know because and it, the ones that weren't working, it's just, again, it's an, I look at it as an investment of my time and I, I'm happy to take the call and call the person back and be cordial and say, hey, listen, we're working with, you know, we've already got a, you know, um, a set roster of brokers we're using. We're not looking to make a change right now. You kind of have your patented, as much as you get the patented requests, you've got your patented responses. Um, you know, I, I think the quickest, you know, the, and I do keep these things. I keep files on cities. <clears throat> in Outlook, um, because again, I don't need. It's not tough to find a broker um, or representation for the bigger markets. But if someone's calling me and just saying, "Hey, listen, you probably work with a ton of people, um, but if you ever need help in, you know, Bulls Gap, Tennessee, I'm your guy." Um, but those type of informative things would be what would, would might, would might catch you. You get, and you get a ton of market information too. I mean, everyone sends you their skyline report or this research uh, material. And so we've got all that finger at our fingertips. I can make, you know, you can kind of make a phone call to any of your brokerage and get a slick looking marketing package on any city in the US or abroad. So, and like you said, the expertise is there for the negotiation. So you've got to take a bigger picture. It, it's tough with a, it's a kind of like, um, I don't know, like, you know, sending out, you know, all the, all the, all the applications you get for credit cards in the mail you know, every day, and, and it just becomes rip it in half, throw it away. You don't have the time to open all those, and 0% for six months, Capital One, you know, God bless you, but it's just, you can't get through all that stuff. And so the hook would have to be, it's gotta be just a, uh, I, I don't wanna say luck, because it's a little too frustrating for everybody to deal with, but I think that it just trying to f maybe connect on a level where you f forecast a need in terms of, you know, and, and, and I guess I get on my, on my soapbox on this thing because I try to help because I was in that mode. Is that if you've read something in the paper, it's really old news to us. You know, in terms of, hey, I heard Sarah Lee was closing this plant and I wanted to know if I could help sell it for you. You know, that's something that we might have been working on for two years with our provider behind closed doors. So if you read something, you know, like whenever Sarah Lee will make an announcement about closing a plant or they'll do something, the man, it's just, you know, the graphic, the graphic of the phone calls just ramp up. Hey, I heard you're expanding in Macon, Georgia, and I want to be your roofing guy. It's like, well, we built that plant. They were announcing that it opened six months ago. So it just, it, it, it's the news out there. That's not a good time to get that relationship going because it's, uh, it's already happened. So to not answer your question is um, try to fulfill some sort of need that they think they might have. I mean, and I don't, I don't know what that is. I got it on now. Yeah. All right. Maybe the last question. I know it's about time to wrap up, but uh, we've been exploring uh, sustainability in green buildings here in the Chicago chapter for some time. And But I was interested that it showed up as kind of a, a part of your strategy. I was interested, did it initiate or did you play a role initiating that from real estate? Or was the triple bottom line something that was coming from the language of the C-suite down and saying this is something we need to be doing, climb on board with us? Uh, which way did it go? And, and, and then second part of that question is, 
as they did so, did they require that it be justified financially, or was it kind of just a, we got to do this? It's a, it's a combination of things with Edelman. Um, it really started as a grassroots campaign um, in our London office. Um, the employees really felt that we as a company weren't doing enough and decided to create a green team. And uh, they launched it with uh, launching our corporate social responsibility practice. And uh, based on some of the things they were doing and the fact that London is the headquarters for our European market, um, we then, you know, in, in the Edelman world, we're very connected to each other, so we heard what London was doing, and the next thing you know, a couple of us in the U.S. started picking up some of the things on London and expanding on it, and then all of a sudden Asia got into it, and I actually have offices in Asia that actually recycle, and, uh, you know, then Australia picked up, and, you know, it, was, it just became this big grassroots effort. In the meantime, because I was one of the people who kept pushing for recycling and being more green and being more con conscious of our real estate and our electricity and so forth, um, it all rattled in together. And uh, so when we launched the CSR and decided to do something a little more officially, we did put in initiatives for our real estate. Uh, we felt it was very important that since we occupy the space and use the space and, and use resources in the space, um, one of the big things in the uh, PR world is paper. We're paper heavy, um, and, in, and to convince these people they didn't need bright white non-recycled paper took me six months. And I basically just eliminated it one day and didn't tell anyone, and six months later they finally figured it out. Uh, cost is a factor, um, but it's not the biggest hurdle at all. It's not the biggest hurdle anymore. Uh, so I think, you know, in our case, I think the, the uh, focus on environment has been for as far as I can remember, I mean, I've, you know, I've, I've been at United for 15, 16 years, and and um, there's always been an involvement group that's been looking at our, you know, operations, and and, and it's it's a heavy um, machinery operation, as you can imagine, with the aircraft and and, and everything else that's going on. Um, I would say that you know there are things that now people are talking about um, in the recent years uh, that we've been doing all along, <laughs> and and I think the the interesting aspect is that now there's actually a language that is out there that everybody can, that we all can sort of converse in. Um, and uh, I would say that, you know, you, like in anything you do, there's always this Pareto optimality, right? So, I mean, there is, there is something you can drive on a curve, but you've got to watch the cost curve at, this, at the same time as well. And, and there is a sort of a sweet spot. And so we've, we sort of strive to be in that sweet spot and, and, and make sure that we're doing everything we can but you know, cost is certainly going to be a factor in, in, in what you're doing. But ultimately, you know, you're you're, um, you're 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 running a business at the end of the day. But 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 the but the aspect of sort of being involved in in, in environmental issues and, and taking it seriously, I think we've been doing it as far as I can remember. Uh, it's just that it has you now come sort of the forefront and in the media and it, you know a lot of people are talking about it and so on and so forth. Um, so I would say that it, you know it, our, our C-suite is focused on it. We are focused on it. We actually have processes in place that actually are monitoring you know our operations all all the time. You know in that regard, um, and so we've just gotten a in the last few years. I think we've gotten a little bit of a stage to talk about that issue. I think it came from our customers, consumers, and the C-suite. You know I think employees were practicing and doing it on their own, but it came I think top down more so than bottom up. 
and we always look at the financial justification of every single piece of that. And I think they, you know, the triple P, you know, profit planet. I mean, you've got a, and people, you, they're equally represented because we have a very low, low margin business, and um, you know, we won't be in business if we do things that. Um, that, that, that are going to erode that even further. It's white bread, you know, so I mean, you're not going to, uh, we don't have a big premium on that. So um, everything we do has a dollar sign and has to be justified. And the good news is there's lots of things you can do that is that are cheaper mm -hmm. or the same. So you can't, yeah. you, you don't have to say it's all going to be more. Well, I want to thank you all for your attendance, certainly, and, and um, hopefully you've imparted some knowledge and some interesting ideas and, and thoughts with regards to real estate and with the three esteemed guests we have here, and I thank you for your time. Anybody else that needs, you need to close? I think just, just to close up, and uh, thank you, everybody, for coming, and let's uh, thank the panel. Yeah, thank you.